0: Welcome to the RSP Cast Scout Talk. I'm Matt Waldman. And joining me today is Brandon Angelo, Angelo FF on on Twitter. And uh, Brandon, welcome to the show. We had a good time talking last night at the Football Guys uh, um, audible live stream of the draft and certainly an eventful night. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that are really, truly in your wheelhouse different from a lot of people who were um, analyzing the game. Because, you, you know, as you've been on the show before, but for folks who may have not have tuned in last year to, to that show, you you know, you work with athletes, you, you know, you're a former track athlete and also you work with athletes. And one of the things that you specialize in, in addition to, you know, studying players for the draft and giving rankings and fantasy info and, you know, and doing draft film analysis, but it's also about movement, athletic movement and athletic behavior.
1: Yeah, no, that's a big part of it, Matt, is it's really kind of deciphering what type of mover is this athlete, right? Are we an abrupt, dramatic mover? Are we a fluid, decisive mover? Are we, you know, dramatic, sporadic? Like, do we have those, do we have movements where like a Miles Sanders, let's say, we're like, he doesn't really know what to do sometimes, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and there's a ton of different type of movers when you kinda of put in like the whole like movement ecosystem, <sighs> what it takes to be an NFL prospect, an NFL player. But when I look at it from like the ground floor, like we talked a little bit a little bit before the, the show deceleration and deceleration and change of direction, like what does that stuff mean? Um, and how do we kind of look at it, break it down and incorporate it into our like prospect analysis?
0: Yeah. So I mean That's what's going to be fun is because we're going to talk about some players today, mainly um, probably some DeAndre Swift and some Jameer Gibbs, obviously with what happened last night in Detroit. Dalton Kincaid is interesting to me. It would be a fun player to discuss, especially going to Buffalo. Um, And then we'll talk about some players of your choice that you feel are strong movers and reasons why and players that maybe are getting touted, but maybe you feel like have some flaws as movers that... It makes you wonder why they're getting maybe touted to the level that they are um right. and but first you know we you know there were some pro days you know a few weeks ago and i'm we had a, a nice exchange just kind of offline talking about that and you just brought up that you know the people don't realize the big difference in timing of players and pro days and who better to like really bring this up i think than you because i think and I think it's important right now because we're in the second day of the draft or we're entering that and you're going to hear lots of people give an analysis of why players fall or why players rose. And a lot of it is usually, well, their pro day. Well, they didn't run this, but at their pro day, they did this or, you know, they're going to give you metrics stuff rather than film. So tell us about the difference in timing in pro days and why pro days may not be the most reliable thing
1: yeah it's crazy and like you and i talked about before the, the the discrepancy is a lot wider than i think we realize or the public realizes so there's really three different types of timing we have your fully automatic timing so that's either dual beam laser which is the most accurate in the world um that's kind of the stuff you see at the Olympics Okay, there's some timing systems out there like Swift and a couple other high-end ones that you, you can buy and purchase that, that have dual beam, right? Um, then we have single beam lasers. So that's Zybeck, Brower, a couple others like that. Um, and then you also have your frequency-based timing systems. which Brower is one of those as well, actually, not single beam. Um, but we have those. And then we have semi-automatic timing, which is what we see at the NFL combine with Zybeck. What they do is it's hand start electronic finish. So it's not fully automatic and we're going to get into why. And then we have hand timing, which is the least accurate. Um, I remember running my high school track meets and my lunch lady was timing me, I didn't know if I ran <laughs> ten five or eleven five, five, Matt, I have no idea. Couldn't tell you my mom was happy. And that's all it that really mattered at the time. So, um, so that, that's
0: it. So, if, so when I, so now I understand very clearly why, when my wife who ran consistently eleven two, in the 100 back in um, back in the 80s and one time after years I said that's your best time it was like 11-2 and she said yeah I was consistently 11 I said well that's great you know and she said yeah and she said, and she was, by the way, short, muscular, and like, um, a slow starter and slew footed. So she was, yeah. And was back a day smoker. So she was kind of, <laughs> so, so. Hey,
1: hey, if you were in that era, you, that's how it was, man. That, and, and so it's, <laughs> that uh, it's hilarious. Time. But that's she, incredible.
0: years later, the the whole story is years later, she goes, I said, so your best time was 11 and And she said, well, my best time I didn't tell you was a 10, 7, 8, but don't tell anybody that. Don't tell, because I don't know how reliable that really was in high sure. school, but my coach yelled at me that day because he was like so mad at me about because I wasn't a hard worker and I just was all these things that I, I just described to you. And she sure. said, So don't repeat that. But when I do, she cringes. But now we can understand why is because she knows that the tan timing is very <laughs> unreliable. Yeah, it,
1: it, it's funny. <laughs> so, like, research shows us like the, the deviations between like 0.24 and 0.30 seconds. Okay. Wow. So, which is kind of crazy between like hand timing like, and fully automatic. Um, and so, like, if my if I have a pro day and I run four four five, my combine time would be around four six. My fully automatic time would be around four six nine, wow. likely, right? So we're looking at different wheelhouses of evaluation, and especially when the the I would say NFL evaluators and scouts are very. It, it's kind of psychosomatic in a way. If you see a time that equates to X production. If I have a 4-4 guy, I'm like, man, that guy's probably going to be productive. If I have a 4-6 guy, ooh, we probably have to look a little deeper at the tape and see what we got here. But we take, I think, at the at Pro Days this year, two guys that I was intrigued about that didn't run the combine, Zach Evans, Quinn Johnston. They both ran around 4-4-5 to 4-5. They would not have run sub-4-6 at the combine. That is why they didn't run. Like. Point blank, whoever's doing their training, they are smart people because they saved Quentin Johnston a lot of money yeah. last night. You talk about Quentin wow. Johnston being the 21st overall pick. He goes from 445 to 4'6, 461, 459. Third you round,
0: f- fourth round, maybe. Boom, he's
1: dropping. It, yeah. It's gonna be a pretty, I mean, that's a that's millions of dollars on the tape. And they know that too. And, and agents know that, you know, <laughs> hey, for agents, it's their payday too. So that's the big deal about it is, oh man, this guy ran a great pro day time. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Like Quentin Johnson is a four or five mid guy. He a lot better on the field because he's a better two-point accelerator than a three-point accelerator because of his limb length. He's 6'3", 208, great. Long speed, doesn't decelerate easily. That's his game. Not an abrupt three point accelerator. That's okay. It doesn't need to be. But we can see four, four, five, four, five. It's not bad. It's good for his height, good for his size. Zach Evans, too. Oh my God. If Zach Evans ran four, six at the combine, he wouldn't be drafted. Yeah. Like with his flags, he's, he goes to a UDFA. Yeah. And that's the important thing is realizing the difference between those and. When you kind of surround the environment of what Pro Days and Combines are, there's really no equal playing field. There's no level playing field. There's all these different types of 40s. There's your hand-time 40s, your hand-time 40s on a track, your hand-time 40s on a turf field. And USC was a hand-time 40 in a monsoon. Yeah. Travis Dye is like a four four guy, in my opinion, watching him play. You're in like four six. They ran the monsoon. Yeah. It was hand timed. So and that's the crazy part. There's no real standard deviation of what we need to do in terms of evaluating 40s. And I talk about it with my coworkers, um, people around the industry all the time. It's it hurts a lot of the players and helps them at the same time too, but it's a it's, wild west out it's, there. It's an absolute, yeah, hundred percent. There's no, there's no exact. There's no precision. If you want precision, you go spend the five to seven thousand dollars on on a state of the art timing system that's dual beam and watch all your fastest guys run between four five eight and four six eight, and you'll be like, what the hell do I do with this information? Wow. And that's the crazy part. You watch guys like Jameer Gibbs, Devon H. Chain. Those are four. Those are 4-3 low, 4-3 mid guys on a dual beam system, and they're not running four four five, yeah. right? And that's the crazy part is it really messes people's evaluations up, and we tend to evaluate based on, like, historical measurables, and that's the hard thing, too, is back in, like, the 80s and 90s, when we, you know, the Bo Jackson, era, the Deion Sanders, right? That didn't exist, right? There was no readily available timing system, but now I can literally go on websites, buy them, and they're here in a month. Wow,
0: is the, so crazy. Is ex, I was gonna ask, is expense, a, is expense an issue for why this is, or like a legitimate issue at least? Because I can imagine yeah. teams saying it's an issue. These are think it's. An,
1: I think it's an issue two-pronged. I think it's an issue one cost for like mid-major schools or below right? Your, I don't know, your Grand Valley states, your division twos, your like Illinois states, your, you know, Kent state, like schools like that, where it's like Marshall, like your, your smaller schools that might not have the, the budget, the equipment budget and, and wiggle room there to purchase a system like that. But even so get a Brower, like get a couple thousand dollars at the most. Right. But that's the thing is it's a not wanting to do that, and b there's a learning curve to using it. Oh, okay, it's not as simple as turn it on. Like let's say Swift, for example, which is probably the best timing system out there in my opinion that I've used um, and, and worked with athletes on. It, it you know it's a, it takes a little bit to learn. It's a it's a wireless interface, Bluetooth. Um, it takes time to learn how to set up, and it's it's, it's, it's cool stuff, but, like, it, there's a learning curve to that.
0: Yeah, so you, the idea of, like, having scouts set up something is just, like, not, it's just, yeah, not feasible. Hey, man,
1: John the Scout, he's been in the game since the ni- 1978, ain't doing it. No yeah. chance. He's not going to want to do that, right? He's going to want his, he, hey, he wants to stop watching his beer, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he wants to watch Devon A. Chain run the 40, right? I mean, that's that's what this is. He's, he's up there, you know, with his cheese curds and, and, and Lucas Oil. You know that—that's that, what I think is going on. So uh, he doesn't want. No, there's no way they want to do that stuff. They don't want to really spend the time around the science part of it. But some organizations are hiring legitimate sports science individuals. Yeah, and guys who are in are in that space that can evaluate it and break it down because there's i can do it on an app like i and the one thing there's a big discrepancy this year um surrounding the nfl combine and how but some of the times were inaccurate like some of the guys ran faster than they were you know they time. yeah like the A. chain and jameer Gibbs ran four four two three four two five and both of them yeah yeah and that's because not... they're both over 24 24 miles, Jameer Gibbs is like 24 and a half miles an hour, Devon A chain right around the same, a little bit higher. So from a, like a science standpoint, impossible for you to be moving that fast and run four, three something. So, and that's the crazy part. There's no, like there's no actual like precision in a world where we can have a drone drop something off at a doorstep thing there. Like yeah. it's the craziest thing to me how a multi-billion dollar organization And there's no like level setting of what the parameters are revolving around timing, which in essence makes or loses these kids millions of dollars.
0: So you really do have to be savvy of how to navigate that. Like you mentioned. And it's funny because from a scouting perspective, I, you know, a scout, a former scout and then a bot who's a biomechanics specialist and does a number of different, did a number of different work, um, from an analytical, biolytic biomechanics, and um, film perspective, for front offices, he when we'd had this conversation a little bit, he talked about that good teams actually, and a lot of teams even kind of have at least some sort of, uh, you know, and th- this doesn't make it sound that much better, but it's a little better is that they do acknowledge the difference enough to say there's a fudge factor for you know, Ohio State insisting that their players run on a hard track.
1: Oh, yeah. You Home know. cooking. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. At,
0: versus, versus, say, playing, you know, versus, say, um, you know, Iowa State, I don't know if they do, but Iowa State running on a grass field. You know, I mean, sure. whoever sure. it is running on a grass field. So they they do put in kind of a fudge factor when it comes to pro days of, like, Plus or minus a certain amount that they add or subtract from a time based on the field, but again, that's a ham-handed approach compared to someone right. like yourself, who's like, who's like, I, I understand what these timing systems are about. We know what these different field services can do, and you know, you broke it down in a manner that I've never heard anybody really review, and I think it's going to be very informative for people today, especially with the example of say Quentin Johnston and talking about how you know yeah he could have been he could have been out of this draft but at the same time uh. when you talk about how he moves it it wouldn't have been fair to him to no. to to do that either even if his time wasn't as fair probably as as it looks you know like yeah so it's kind of it it cuts both ways and that's what makes this very intriguing is that yeah it's like you could say well that guy's not as fast as he should be he shouldn't have been drafted this high and then you look at the other end of the spectrum and it's like well maybe not maybe he should have been where he is or maybe or within the vicinity it's just that the again the way that metrics should match what should Good good use of metrics should validate what you're seeing on the field. Right. 100%. I mean as simple as that. You know, if and and that means that and, and what that means is if they don't, you should go back to the field and say, What did I miss on the field that doesn't show that? That that isn't right. you know, did I did I misjudge his speed? When I go back and watch Kyron Williams and, you know, this is the example I'm going to give, because I remember watching Kyron Williams against you, North Carolina with that 99-yard run he had and going, this kid's slow. Like, he's slow. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you know, because... Hey, the
1: piano on the back. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. he's slow,
0: and I know For that people sure. are going to think he's fast, sure. you know, but because... And the only reason I knew that is because I'm not a track expert like you from any remote imagination, but it's like, when I watch players, I'm watching for who they accelerate past, what oh. distance and trajectory of angle that the yeah. players who are pursuing him have, and how many time and you know, what kind of thing you know where people started where all of those things and when you watch that run it was just like oh it was a series of fortunate events for this guy to, to get yeah. there so like you know, so when he ran a slow time that's not a surprise but if you're a if you're learning and you saw that run or a run like that and go oh i thought he was fast you got to go back to that play and then go what was i missing How did I break, how do I break this down to see that? And I think that's where, that's where people don't do that. Or you have got to throw out a time, like a, like a Dalvin Cook. You know, when people were all up in arms about Dalvin Cook's, I think it was his three cone drill and his vertical. And it's like, you watch it, or Kayshawn Booty. Okay. And you, you. He's a
1: really intriguing example. yeah, Yeah. Yes.
0: Because like you look at him and you go, how does he play his game? Does he play his game in the air? No, not really. What does he do? Is he a is he more of a slot receiver who wins off of short area quickness? Is he is he more of a guy that runs routes and gets open in space and then and does that? And then I think who are other wide receivers of his height, weight who who ran like that? Oh, Robert Woods and Jarvis Landry. And guess what? He was comparable or better in the metrics that we saw, if you can count those. And really, you just look at it and go, like with Cook, you say the guy has that curvy linear speed. He rarely makes hard cuts. So why am I going to judge his three cone drill based on how he plays? If he cuts like Adrian Peterson, then I'm judging his three cone drill. But yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You're you're 100% right. I I like how you brought up the curve linear element because really. I think what we don't see enough it's the game is not played in a linear fashion nearly ever right sure. like yeah. straight line speed is just a small piece of an evaluation i want to see how you sprint in different angles right how you get in and out of cuts how you go from Full acceleration, slight deceleration, can manipulate the, the backside safety and then cut across his face and say, see ya. Like, that's the stuff that's really important when you're watching, when you're watching guys play. It's not as simple as, this guy's really, really fast. He's going to be good. Because if you look at wide receivers, every receiver that ran under 4-3 at the NFL Combine, there has been zero Pro bowlers. Not one. Tyree Kill does not count. but didn't run the combine. Don't want to hear it. He was a running back in college too, so even better. But really, even if you count Tyree Kill, that's one out of a dozen.
0: So you've just confirmed to me a a statement I make all the time that speed is like cleavage for NFL evaluators.
1: 100%. Okay, good. 100,000%. Because really – if you think about the two things from a human psychology standpoint that we can really point to, the two things that are exceptions to most human beings are speed, size. Two things that people who are likely evaluating the game do not have. That is okay. I'm not six foot, 220 pounds. Totally fine. But people who are evaluating the game likely aren't either they're likely they've likely never ran over 20 miles an hour yeah Yeah. so those are things from a holy cow standpoint that people cling to because they can't physically do that you can't physically become Bajan robinson
0: yeah
1: i don't care how hard you try it ain't gonna happen right genetics dna you know type 2 fibers you don't have them so people try to look at what they don't have and put the asterisks next to that and say that that's it that matters but in reality it's always to an extent it matters to an extent it only matters if you can utilize that on the field of play that's a very different thing i was a good sprinter dog shit football player it's okay not a big deal right but that's what that's the difference is like if people just see people's 40 times in their miles an hour they think this 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 cat can go this is a good No, no no
0: if you can't process you to, fast no. if you don't have good 100%. technique if you don't have if you can't react to using what your eyes see to what your feet can do with that, yeah. then you're going to play slow. And coaches show that all the time. They show the four three receiver running a a, a a curl route. They show the four seven receiver running the curl route, and they tell you which one was faster. And it's always and and the four seven receiver with good technique and good skills, knowing what he does, looks like a four three receiver by no, comparison. A
1: hundred percent, man. Yeah. I always say, the faster you play, the faster you have to process information. If I'm a 4-3 guy, I have to process the game that much faster, which is why it doesn't pan out. It's hard enough to process information at that level with, with how many big, fast, strong, smart human beings you see in American football. Yeah. But if I'm a 4-3 guy, it's very hard for me to process information with that type of play speed. Controlling that's a different ballgame, right? That's why yeah. I, most of your significantly... I would say high your significant high end receivers in the NFL are between four, five, five, four, six, four, five, four, six guys, right? Yep. Your Cooper Cups, your DeAndre Hopkins, like those guys, your Antonio Browns. Yep. Because they can layer their speed. They can manipulate it. They can they can throttle down. They can oscillate that and make it so they can change speed in route in game, not just blow past them like an Anthony Schwartz. Um, and that's the that's the biggest deal when we're talking about the difference between hey I'm a really fast guy and hey I can layer my speed and play as fast as I want to play so thank you for
0: validating Xavier Hutchinson today you're welcome
1: Very I'm well. sorry, <laughs> it You're just came to well. mind
0: how you were talking about the player. And I go, that sounds like Xavier Hutchinson. It sounds like Grant Dubose. It sounds like some players that
1: people aren't talking about. And yeah, you the know. issues. Those guys don't get the chance sometimes. That's the thing is like, I'm not yeah. super high on Xavier Hutchinson, but he's sure. a guy that can be successful in the NFL yeah. because he can layer that. But yeah. NFL evaluators might just pass up on it because he doesn't have that trait. Yep. Right. And that's the, that's kind of the tough thing. Yeah. Um but it happens all the time.
0: Man, sorry to interrupt you. I just thought it was No, no, no I love just, that. No, yeah. it's
1: no interrupt as much as you want.
0: So so let's that was a I think that was awesome conversation and I just feel like I could title this this basically that I could just title this speed is the cleavage of the NFL, you know, as yeah. as probably our title this podcast, you know, but uh but let's talk about some players. Like so you you know you were on the show last night on uh, Football Guys when basically the Detroit Lions decided that they were gonna grab themselves some Jameer Gibbs and say, effectively, we're looking at DeAndre Swift with David Montgomery and town and going, yeah, that's the end of the DeAndre Swift era. So, and we both kind of thought, hey, you know, there's some holes in Swift's game. I mean, he's a pro caliber player, yeah. you, you know, no doubt about that, but what do you notice from DeAndre Swift that you, you look at this and say, I understand why they did this?
1: Yeah, I think it's a couple things, Matt. And I think the number one thing is the game hasn't slowed down for him. No. And you you saw that in the SEC, too. Abrupt cutter. I like his game. He's a great size for for uh, today's era of running back, right? 5'9", 2'12", ish. But the issue is... He forces outside opportunity, can break in, can do that off left foot, doesn't do it as well off right foot. So he's kind of capped in terms of being a pretty, like, ba- like a, big bandwidth in terms of the runs he, he can execute really well. And also from a processing standpoint, the second level engagements is what really hurts him because he doesn't have an out, if that makes sense. Like he doesn't have, he's a good accelerator, not a great accelerator. He doesn't have great top end speed, actually, relatively poor top end speed, in my opinion. He gets caught a lot, but he has good movement tools, but he has never actually expanded upon those. Yeah. It's this, he's the same player to me he was in college. Yeah. But I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber guy at his ceiling. However, he hasn't improved his through contact skill set. He's the same guy through contact. Just he's a, He doesn't understand yet how to negate contact. That's a huge deal because that's why, you know, he's multiple shoulder injuries, right? Yeah. You have to understand what's coming, how to take that hit, how to absorb that contact, and how to sometimes play Tyler Lockett and just freaking get down and avoid it. Yeah. Like you, you got to play the long game here in the NFL. If you want a second contract, you got to avoid some hits. Yeah. Um, and I look at the guy they drafted last night and the difference between those two people are like, oh, he's just the this, this, this DeAndre Swift clone. No totally way. Totally different player. Yeah. When we're talking about how they react and the different, the main difference between the two guys is the intellect. Jameer Gibbs is a pure processor. What I mean by that is he is processing the, what comes to him as it happens. He's not guessing. He's, he's anticipating and processing and everything seamlessly. And that's, in my opinion, why that – I don't mind the, the pick at 12 with Gibbs because those players are hard to find, even harder to find when you have a guy that can reach 23.5 miles an hour on the field of play. You have a guy with that high-end, high-end top-end speed, incredible accelerator, and that's the thing I, I love about Gibbs too is he's the best – Open field player in this class because of how easily he can accelerate past different types of angles and use his speed and layer that um, and get get the edge or accelerate out of an error angle route and, and just things like that. That Swift hasn't been able to do yet with his game. It's not that Swift can't do that stuff, it's that he hasn't yet. And you're, you know, you're year your three in the NFL. Is it going to happen? Yeah. And then all the mistakes that come along with that—that's—that's that's probably why we're seeing Brad Holmes say it's "Probably time we cut bait with this guy." You know, he, I think he saves them about a million dollars in cap savings. Yeah, right. So yeah. I think it makes it makes sense to me to move on from him. Um, not saying you can't be a talented player elsewhere, but I mean, you know, you're getting the 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 football IQ of Jameer Gibbs, which I think is his his biggest trait besides the physical stuff that he does pretty well. It's yeah, it's, it's time to move on. I mean, DeAndre Swift, I think he had 10 carries more than 10 carries, just three times in the the last 25 games. Yeah. So writing's on the wall.
0: Yeah. It tells you a lot. I mean, and you see how they use him because of what they feel comfortable using him with. And it's a very small, um, it's a small, Uh, amount of plays. It's mostly draws, delays, Uh screen passes, um, things where they just try to get him into space without him being able to get there because you could see even his rookie year bounced everything outside like you said. You could see that on a regular basis. He just didn't read the field extremely well and that was something that you would have expected him to do a better job of but really didn't. Um, And like you said the capability is there. But it's never been realized. So I think no. that's a – I think that and, – and Gibbs, to me, I mean, when you talk about a guy who processes, my comps have always been – I've joked that my comp is between two Falks, um, Marshall Falk and and Kevin Falk. Like, he's the guy in between those two. <laughs>
1: don't understand. Kevin Falk was actually cold. What he he was. Think? He was.
0: That's the point. I mean, because if Kevin Falk played today in this spread oh, era, yeah, yeah, he would be – he he would probably be better than DeAndre. He'd be better than DeAndre. Yeah, hundred percent. He would, you know, he would have you. done what DeAndre Swift did numbers wise, at least. You know, for sure. So for sure. so it's like that's a it's a narrow mar narrower margin than it looks to fantasy people. But it's like that's a that's a pretty good player if you're talking about yeah, he's between no, those sure. two guys. You know, and part of that is again the processing speed, the the quickness, the ability to you understand how to manipulate, everything you said. So let's move on to Dalton Kincaid with the Bills because this this guy, when I watch him on tape, Brennan, you know, he's always making the first guy miss. He's often making the second guy miss. He's usually breaking a tackle if he doesn't make a guy miss. Um, and then there's the fact that he wins the ball above the rim, probably yeah. as well as any tight end that I've seen in the past five to six years. And I was saying last night when the Bills drafted him, I know that... Kyle Pitts is probably a better athlete. That Kyle Pitts is, um, you, you know, got maybe he has even higher potential as a player. But mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts is going to be blocking a lot more in Atlanta. Um, and they still have to figure out their quarterback situation as well as the help out along at receiver that right. can really solidify what he can to maximize his upside. Dalton Kincaid to me comes in and you got Gabriel Davis who's going to stretch the field. You've got. Diggs who can handle pretty much any cornerback that you put on him and maybe two defenders when they take do that and now you've got Cook out of the backfield you've got Dawson Knox who's a good seam stretcher off play action and can win but he's a blocker you look at Dalton Kincaid and I'm thinking if I'm a fantasy GM it may be a spicy take as Jason Wood said last night when I said it but I I think it's a push if you were going to trade between Cooks and, and Kincaid like You might, if you wanted to make that bet and think you could get more for trading Kyle Pitts and get Kincaid in return plus plus two to three more options, I would consider that deal seriously.
1: Yeah. No, I I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head, and it's funny because, so Kincaid was my number one tight end on film. Yeah. Number one. Great. Higher than Michael Mayer. In totality, film analytics, Mayer had a little bit higher. grade. Obviously, he had more consistent seasons. Sure. But with Kincaid... This is a Mark Andrews. This is that caliber of producer at the tight end position because he's not only a ball winner, but I, I, when we talked about movers, he was one of the guys I listed that we're going to talk about today. Good. is It's just there's, he's not super abrupt, not super sudden, but there's this fluidity and precision that he plays the game with, especially in the slot. Where he, he he is nearly unguardable there, yeah. like that is an extremely tough cover for a, a, you know, a nickel corner with his size, yeah, and his ability to go it, incredible inner athlete too. I mean, this is this is a honestly, I mean, this is a Pro Bowl caliber player. Like that's what I put in my evaluation. Yeah. Like this is him and Michael Mayer at the top of this class, and leave him there. I think Sam Laporte is underrated too. Have him higher I'm than a, Washington. Yeah, I'm a huge. Um, I have a Laporte of three. Yeah, I I'm do too. Room. Yeah, he's, I I I think he's fantastic. Um, but with Kincaid, I think it you hit the nail on the head with, you know, you have Davis stretching the field, you you have Digs being an All Pro, and then you are going to be dominating the middle of the field with Kincaid. How Cole Beasley did, but yeah. in a different way. Yes. Cole Beasley couldn't stretch you vertically at all; too small, didn't have the wingspan, can't can't catch through contact as well. You have some of the capabilities that Cole Beasley had from a precision standpoint, not as abrupt or sudden, but you have the ability to to stretch the field vertically, like you see Mark Andrews do with with Lamar Jackson, and that's uh-huh. kind of the unique part about Dalton Kincaid is he can beat you vertically. Because he can really manipulate pace well and he understands leverage, understands you know, understands how to win the ball. And that's the big piece for me with him. He's come on this year and the only the only red flag I have is the back injury. Yeah. Like that's it. Like if he's if he's a healthy Dalton Kincaid, he is a Pro Bowl caliber player in his first three years. like that's who he is
0: and that other tight end at Utah doesn't look too bad either if you've seen Mm -hmm. some of the things that he's when he Mm -hmm. comes out he might be interesting too I've seen him make some plays and I go wow that dude can that dude can catch a football and get open himself so so that's gonna be fascinating but yeah I'm with you on Kincaid it's a this is gonna be if he can stay healthy you yeah you have a terrific option right there and I love how you brought up the Cole Beasley usage there. And that was missing. You know, they were hoping that Isaiah McKenzie would be able to fulfill that role. And it just didn't happen.
1: Nope. Nope. McKenzie couldn't do it. Uh, I think it's, it's, that's a tough role for that offense. And I think too, Kincaid fills that void immediately and and gives that. And then some Uh, Dawson Knox is not dead in the water, but I mean, he's, he's not, he doesn't have that. Like, that's the thing is he's a big athletic, big athletic cat, but He's, he hasn't developed in the way that you would, no. you would like him to, to, to be a true you know, true pro bowl caliber yeah. tight end. We talked about Kyle Pitts earlier. Kyle Pitts is the best player I've ever evaluated in my, in my grading system on AGS. But is he going to be that? I don't know. I, don't, yeah. I have no idea. And that thing is, you, you, you kind of have to bring in, and I was talking to my buddies last night about Michael Mayer. You know He's falling on the first round. I'm like, man, if you want to kind of unlock Kyle Pitts, Go put Michael Mayer in Atlanta.
0: That's right. Because yeah. that's the multiple. That's where you can really be multiple with that. And Go. Yeah. he's perfect in that realm. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't have Mayer as high as most people. But his score would have been top two, top three any other sure. year. I just, sure. I just rated other guys a little bit more yeah. compelling based on how I think people how they are used as receivers and when i see Mayer as a receiver i see a um i see a guy who wins in the red zone one-on-one that's great someone leverages that he's going to reach that that the potential he's a great zone player he's a great all-around player um do i think he has the ability to win one-on-one with the upside um against nickels and against you know corners so maybe that a Darnell Washington might be used, a uh, uh, Laporte—not maybe not Laporta, but a Darnell Washington, a Kincaid. You know, Luke Schoonmacher is an interesting guy for me. Yeah. You know, I'm a big Schoonmacher fan. So I, you know, there's there's some things there where the margin's small, but Mayor's the safest. You know, to me, Mayer is by for far sure. the safest. I, yeah, he, he's a on
1: day board. one. Yeah, day one, yeah. day one started the position. I mean, he's a. He's one of those guys that I think, you know, we he's not he hasn't been appreciated enough in this process because he's a little boring. Right. Um, he's like Jason Witten. It's like yeah. okay, this is great. I mean, but he's gonna he's gonna put up, he's gonna he's gonna be a producer in the NFL, I think, for a long time. But yeah, I like him in Atlanta. Um because I think Kyle Pitts I actually graded Kyle Pitts as a receiver. I didn't grade him at a tight end. Yeah, good reason. I'm like, I'm like he's not a tight end. Yeah. Um. You gotta put him. You gotta let him develop as a receiver. And I think now with Bajan there, it's gonna really kind of help take the pressure off. I mean, you have yeah. London and Pitts, and they signed Jonu Smith. Yeah. They want to go
0: to tight ends, but use yeah, but use him as the guy that they can match up. Outside. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Hundred percent.
0: So, so then, who are three players that you think are strong movers in this class? They can either be guys that everyone kind of knows about, and you want to talk about them more, or guys that you think are strong movers, but people may not be maybe sleeping on them a
1: little bit. It's a great question. We talked about Dalton Kincaid. Uh, I won't bring him up anymore, but number one, Tank Dell. Good luck. Good luck one on one with Tank Dell, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, he yeah he's small, but my goodness, Um, one on one, there's there's no better receiver in this class, in my opinion. Um, I think he is going to be primarily a slot guy in the nfl but it's kind of like that hunter renfro esque type player but with better speed it's put him in the slot can't cover him he's small he's why is this guy why does this guy have five for 100 right now why that's the kind of player he is
0: what do you remember Azza here hakeem
1: god that that it's been a good good long time since i've heard that name yeah he kind
0: of reminds me a little bit of a guy with that kind because he had that Oz kind Hakim. of speed. Oz Hakim. Yep. I think there's a little bit of that. If he... My only thing with Dell because you're right. Like, Dell is unbelievable in the open field. I think he's one of the best open field runners in the draft. Oh, for sure. And his ability to to win at the line of scrimmage is fantastic. Um, just catching the ball. That's like the the final front. It's like Tank. It's like Romeo Dubs in a sense last year where Romeo Dubs is sure. that player that like all the way up to the catch point, he looks like a stud. And then yeah. it's like positioning and hands. And it's like, if he can fix that, you've yeah. got it. You have got it. I know. It, it
1: was like yeah. Isaiah McKenzie last year. It's yes. Like, it's like, it's like man, like, all right, free release, got open. And it's the second drop of the game. Like, that's just kind of how it worked. But yeah. Yeah, Del, Del's unique, man. Super abrupt. I, I just love how he layers movements together. And he's you can't really guess what he's doing. Um, he's, he's breathtaking. He's the probably the him and him, Kincaid, Mayor best red zone players in this class. Yeah, like just unguardable for obviously different reasons, but yeah, very similar to Hunter Renfro in that capacity. Just in the red zone, if if you got him one on one in the slot, uh, it's a good night unless you have a really talented corner playing on him. But I like him a ton. The other ones I listed, Quentin Johnston, um, we talked about him a bit, but at 6'3", 208, you don't see athletes who can decelerate like him yes. at that size. That's the big deal. We well, no, he's not fast enough. Well, he he is. I'm, I'm, and on in his play is pretty good. You're reaching over twenty-one and a half miles an hour at that size. That's that's awesome. But really, it's his ability to decelerate, and Sonny Dykes' offense didn't allow him to run a a, a big expansive route tree. The Crossers Comebacks, curls, slants, go balls, really it. Right? You're not seeing this, this, you know, Antonio Brown type tree where you can do whatever the hell you want. But with Johnston, it's really unique because he has such a high ceiling when it comes to being a multi-dimensional receiver. I think he's best immediately in the slot. Yeah. And I, I like the fit with the Chargers because you have Williams and X. You have Allen. He can be a Z in, in the Z. Yeah. You can put Johnson in the slot and create a mismatch. Yeah. You know, a- Allen's savvy enough to play any three position at this point in his career. Yeah. Johnson can Johnson can just roam free on the poor nickel cornerback who's going to have to guard him, yeah. and that's a big deal for me. Is he's great at he's great in deceleration, incredibly good dexterous after the catch. That's a big deal for me. Yes. Is. He has different ways of winning after the catch that you don't see for guys his size. That's pretty rare. We saw Lavisca Chenault do a bit of that when he was at Colorado, but I think he's very much like Brand Um yeah. kind of that he kind of has that inexperienced to him as well. When we saw Ayuk come out of Arizona State, but I think Johnson has the ability, you know, to be a ball winner one day. He's yeah. not right now. I think he no. has issues at the catch point. Um, but that really wasn't he wasn't asked to do that much in Slade Dyke's offense, so inexperience is is a big one there. But I think I'm he a was mis- I
0: there. think he was kind of miscast. Hundred percent was and, miscast, and yeah. and that's kind of a common thread recently with Texas Tech receivers. Jalen Rager was miscast in his in that offense yeah. too. Um, and the Eagles, from what uh, Fran Duffy, the 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 Eagles analyst, um, mentioned to me, is that when they talked to Gary Patterson um back in the day in tcu and said i uh, asked him about rager he said well we had to use him in a role that we didn't want to use him and he'd yeah. really be much better in, in a different role and then the eagles went ahead and used him in the role that he was miscast in um
1: and it did not work
0: yes not at all so no. so that's kind of fascinating because when you look at johnson yeah to me the hands are the uh, the biggest deal with him like there's, if it all went to crap, it's he's got that Robert Meacham vibe about him, where like, okay. you, yeah, you, you, you know, as a guy who just, he it looks like he's doing math sometimes when he's trying to catch the ball, but he's working on it. You can see that he's using the, the correct techniques um, a lot more often in his later tape. Now it still looks a little uncomfortable. There's still a little bit of a, a fight with the ball as he's yeah. like from the, the initial securing of it to pulling it in, that it just isn't as clean. But the fact that he's getting, he's doing it is good. Now, there's some things like you said, the catch point on contested, knowing which which to use his hands, that's the, been the big issue. But but the fact that what you brought up is so essential, the fact that he's going to likely be used in the slot, he's already a very good slant and crosser guy. He's yep. And that ability after the catch and the route running, the ability to stop, start, accelerate in and out of movements is there. All of that's, there for him to leverage and become a a a really good route runner and if he's catching targets in the area where it's not contested going up above the rim for the ball he's fine he's fine in that area so now you're buffered by two pro bowl caliber receivers and by the way keenan allen out of cal as my buddy ryan riddle would say who used to play at cal and was in in the league for a while as a defensive end and linebacker he would talk about Keenan Allen say you know and and you could see it on tape over the years it depended on whether what kind of weight he wanted to play at if he wanted to be small and lift he was a slot receiver all day long who ran who moved like a deer you know back then and then if he wanted to play bigger he could be an x or maybe be a z depending on what he was one of those guys that there aren't many athletes who you could say Let's just add or take off weight and express a different facet of what your maximum yeah, upside is. He's remarkable. Is. Yeah.
1: He's remarkable. We missed that. You know, he ran four sevens, so we totally missed, right? Like, yeah. People missed on that. And yeah. that's the thing that's crazy. is like, like that's what, that's what would happen if Jackson Smith and Nick Jigba, if he would have ran in his pro day, we'd have been like, oh. I mean, his ran at the combine, would be like, oh, man. He's a four six guy? Yeah. Doesn't matter no doesn't matter I, I that's the type of player he is
0: i wish i made a keenan allen comp now to him i wish i did
1: I, i'm glad i did because i'm like I, I, I i'm like i think because he just has that kind of like, like chameleon that's a great comp just this that chameleon to him where he can he can win in multiple situations he's not just a slot guy i think he's gonna succeed there out of the gate because i think your development's capped a bit when you don't play another season yeah. you don't have that second year development year two is super important for collegiate receivers in my opinion yeah. being able to be on the field for 10 to 12 full games your second year being a producer super important he missed that but i think in seattle good fit long term because you're going to get your same with johnson you're sandwiched between two pro bowl wide receivers yeah, yeah. that's a great thing for for, for rookies coming yeah. in the nfl
0: I mean, look at Kenny Galladay, who I was never very high on, and who, oh yeah, no, Illinois, yep, and certainly didn't work out in in a second contract so far, but still might get it together. But I always thought he was a limited player, but certainly, you know, certainly could do some things well. And and when you look at him with Marvin Jones, who's a consummate route runner and ball winner on one side, who could play all three positions, and yeah, did, yeah, hundred percent, and and Golden Tate. Uh, you know like career you know like peak golden tate on the other side and you're matched up against linebackers and safeties from the slot running go routes or seams i mean like come on it was like so when he went to new york and people are like he's gonna be you know you know when when there's and we need to make him a number 1 I'm saying no way in hell that's going to work no. I mean like no. no way but you but I felt bad for him because yeah. you have to imagine because yeah. when I think back to being that age I would have to think I just had success in the NFL with the Detroit Lions I'm like their leading producer I'm not thinking about who I'm buffered by I'm thinking about oh. what I'm doing well and I'm doing my job well I'm going to get a I'm getting a promotion essentially you know, right. not thinking about the fact that am I ready for that promotion? Do I have the skills to do that promotion? And now the NFL's expecting me to have those skills to do it because they put me in a role and I did well, but they're not they're maybe they're not thinking about you know, that I don't know the rest of those skills to really get open
1: on that level. Oh, a hundred percent. And it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean I I see it I see it all the time at the NFL level where guys are Miscast in their second contract, or as rookies too. Like, good lord, like Traylon Burks. Yeah, need like a guy like Burks needs another buffer. He needs he needs a guy there with him to take some because you know if you're a rookie receiver or someone who has a limited skill set, like Burks had.
0: Yeah,
1: A long way to grow, but I mean, he still ha- he still has the ability. You need time, and you need to garner some confidence in order to. Or to do that, but yeah, I mean, a a guy, it was, t- oh man, like yeah. talk about a tumble. Yeah, I mean, and
0: yeah, that's tough, and that's a tough deal because you could see it in his, you can almost see it in his, um, reactions in with the Giants where he he basically was effectively benched, and he doesn't understand why, and you know, and you can look at that and i go i get it like it may he he may not see he doesn't see himself accurately and i feel bad for him about that because i don't think he's a he's a a screw up i mean he may be on some level i don't know but but i don't think it's necessarily because he's like a bad guy i just think he's a guy who who was enabled and on a level to think that he was better than he was And now more is being demanded of him and he doesn't understand. It's just like, I see this. I saw this in corporate America all the time. When you come and take over a team of people and they're not performing to expectation. And then you're explaining to them what needs to happen. But they seem like, but I did this. What? Look what I was, look what I did. And they are like, I'm glad you did that. But the circumstances have changed. Like, do you know how to do these things? Well, why do I need to do that? Or how I, Why can't you just throw me this or give me that? It's because what you were doing was good enough for the situation, but now you've got to get better. And right, and it's hard to. And when you're making millions and everyone's kissing your your backside a little bit wherever you go, it's hard. You know, it's a performance medium that can be hard too.
1: That can it is mess with your head. It is so tough, and I like how you said see yourself accurately. I mean, that's really hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's what that's what it is like. And I was, I turned the draft last night when I got home, and my mother-in-law was, was over, and she's never seen the NFL draft. And Will Good Levis for was shown, like, <laughs> yeah. No. Will Levis was shown like eight times, and she's like, "Who is this guy?" And I'm like, "Well, uh, he hasn't been drafted yet." So she's like, "Wait, so." does everybody go to this? I'm like, no, like the NFL like selects like 20 or so of the guys they think that's going to get drafted and they go to the green room and she's like, well, why wasn't he drafted? And I'm like, Oh shit. That's a great question. Yeah. And I'm like, well, um, I don't know, but I'm like, well, I do know he didn't see himself accurately. Yeah. And this is, and when you listen to a guy like that talk and we talk about like sports psychology and, um, all of that stuff, like, so. It's crazy because you listen to some of those guys talk, like they're almost too sure of themselves. Yeah. It's not like a confidence, it's like a it's like an oversimplification of who they are, yeah, like it's I'm the best, I'm the best player in this draft, yeah, well, you're not, but you say it so, so confidently that it comes off as something that it's maybe not. And when you do that, and what happens is from a confidence perspective, you know, you think you're going one overall. Like, you think, you're, you think you're the bee's knees. Like, you're Kenny Gowdy and think, man, I had a, like 2,000 yard season with the Lions, man. I'm like New York, piece of cake. Oh, can't get open. Yeah. I'm the guy now. I'm facing doubles. Like, didn't do that in Detroit. Like, like Will Levis and his evaluation, it's like he has a lot of room to grow. He's better off, I think, under a veteran quarterback. Yep. I, I actually liked him with the Lions under Goff for a couple of years with sure. Johnson there. Sure, Um And, and um, Brunel, I think that's a good fit. I liked that with Malik Willis last year and didn't happen. But I think really people see themselves what they're not. Like he he's a developmental trait-based quarterback. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of those who are successful in the NFL. Yeah, but I mean, my goodness, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that, man. It's it's really you got to see yourself accurately in order to have success. Listen,
0: Ryan, Ma- I learned this from Ryan Matthews, the the excellent yep. Fresno State prospect. To Chargers, yeah. When you can when you can plant one foot in the ground and change the axis of pursuit at the second and third level <laughs> with one cut once you get through the line and with his balance and his acceleration and all that, he should have been a superstar.
1: I oh, thought absolutely
0: but I knew his trainer at the time who helped him get into the first round you know with some of the workouts and things and the guy who and he's 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 the, I don't remember his name right off the bat cuz it's been a while and I'm getting older and maybe I need to get some cognitive testing but uh, uh <laughs> but honestly uh I he's a superstar trainer who has worked with tons of NFL athletes and And I remember him telling, and been on NFL Network, and I remember him telling me year two, year three, he goes, Ryan's a great kid. But Ryan, like a lot of kids, regardless of socioeconomic background, just think of just kids in general, okay? Like a lot of kids, they can be, their self-assurance that they, they have is really a veneer for a low self-esteem and lack of confidence. And Ryan, Ryan did, when we talk about socioeconomic, he did grow up homeless at times, living in and out of cars, you know, that kind of thing, not thinking maybe he was good enough, having some feelings that regard to that, that are natural, completely natural to feel that way on some level underneath. But he, but he disguised it with ultimate confidence. And so what happened is North Turner in year two, was telling everyone in the media, Ryan's going to get the load. He's going to be, he's going to get a, you know, basically intimating, he's going to get the LaDainian Tomlinson successor yeah, load. Yeah, he's of the us. guy. He's going to be yeah. the dude. And Ryan, and his his trainer's like, dude, I mean, he was telling me this. He goes, don't say anything. So I never, I didn't, but he was like, don't. He goes, he goes, Ryan's not showing up to, to work. He's not working out. He's not with me. He's out partying. He's like out drinking. I'm like, come on in here. We got work to do. Like you, and he goes, and this was also first, first game fumbled at the end of the first half as a rookie. His trainer's in the stands. He was so distraught over it, needed the, the, the charger staff called the trainer and said, come down here. He won't come out. He's acting like he's not going to come out on the field. And for the second half, you need to talk him back into getting onto this field. Crazy. You know, and Ryan Matthews turned into a, a pretty good darn player. Like he, yeah, had some, he did.
1: He, he, he had th- some flashes. 100%. Yeah, yeah.
0: But he was, but the what was up here and in here, and when I say he, I'm not saying he lacked the heart. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he didn't have the maturity at the time, and the the formative things. And it's okay. A lot of people don't. Um, yeah. And you don't discover it until you're in that situation. And, oh, and, and so, you know, when that was his rookie year, he came out and played. And then when he did all the stuff, I'm ready. He failed his conditioning test first day in year two, threw up and he came in and he called his trainer. And he goes, dude, you were right. I'm sorry. Freaking out. Help me. Help me, and we worked, and he got him on track, and then Ryan had a couple of good years, and, yeah, yeah. and 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 was a good NFL running back. Not the, I thought he could have been an elite NFL running superstar back. for sure. Yeah, I,
1: I I thought the I thought the same thing. I mean, really, you know, it, it's it, you you brought up a good point with like emotional maturity. Yeah, Th- that's what really, in my opinion, separates the athletes that make it. And the athletes that in two, three years are out of the league yeah. or get hurt. And, like, you and I talked about Zach Evans before. That's kind of what I see with Zach Evans, right? Being emotionally mature enough to be like, hey, these are the things I didn't do so well at TCU, at Ole Miss. And that's the part that I need to clean up. Yeah. That's not the game. It's outside the game. Yeah. It's people tell me I'm the greatest. That's the hardest thing. Doing it again, and I always say this. I always say this to my athletes and, and coaches all the time. Doing it again is harder than doing it once. Yes. Always. If, you know, a guy like Zach Evans, high school All-American, regarded as the best prospect in America, yeah. not at running back, the best in his class, he's the guy. No, he's – He's on top of the mountain. Georgia wants him. Yeah. Exactly. Running right? back you. Yeah. Yes, 100%. But what, what I think younger athletes don't realize is that air is way thinner at the top, man. It becomes hard to breathe in the way down. Like if, if you are if you are not being consistent in terms of preparation um, and all of that stuff and really, and really honing in on the little details outside of the 22 and a half hours a day um 22 and a half hours a day you're you're not in practice. Yeah. Like that's the really important stuff that some uh, you know some of these prospects I think don't get because emotionally they see TikTok, they see Twitter and they see oh man, I'm the, the best. Like So
0: so where are you with Evans because for me when I don't do real deep dives into into character because I'm not an investigative team who does stuff sure. but when I looked yeah. at Evans play, as a player I loved him. I loved what I saw and what he's capable of and how he makes decisions. Um, But when I look back, I did decide to take a look as much as I could. And I thought, okay, from what I read, if it's true, didn't really have great parents who were capable of being able to provide him the support that you would want during a recruiting cycle. His, Mm -hmm. His main parental, like, support was a grandfather who was basically the patriarch of the family who was very influential with them but died the year before the recruiting really got heavy and he handled his own recruiting and yeah and then you saw what happened with the with the, the switching around everywhere and then the getting suspended for your championship game in high school because and you wouldn't yeah. give up your cell phone now I could see the connection It may not be one at all, but I could make a connection and say if, without knowing the details thinking, well, if I don't trust my parents to be able to do this type of stuff, my grandfather's dead and I feel like I'm taking this on my own and I'm a, I'm going to have some arrogance confidence as a, as a, as a top recruit player. I'm probably feeling like I need to stay in touch with all these people at every every possible moment and I'm probably living on my phone in a way that's really unhealthy yeah
1: 100 percent. but
0: he was a good student at TCU made academic honor roll um and then I think of like when he left well at the, this time last year Gary Patterson was telling or the the was telling folks listen TCU's got to get their NIL deals together because we're about to lose, I think he said something like 28 players. I know that was a hyperbole, but Oof. no one thought TCU was going to the national championship game based no. on what that was being said last year. So of course, and he didn't like move to Central Arkansas. He moved to Ole Miss, you yeah. know. So, and then, you know, Judge Quinshawn Judkins happened to be there. So they're going to play a little Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside, little Mr., you do this work we do this work it works out so i i don't know i think i i don't know about the i don't know about him off the field but if i were to guess i would say is the is if he's shown ownership of of what happened and accountability for what happened Mm -hmm. i'm looking at that and go it's not a major thing it's a kid growing but
1: sure it's a thousand percent growth and you know i wrote in my Evaluation of him—it's—it's it's one of the most puzzling I've ever encountered because there are some times where this kid looks like the best recruit in America. Yes, he should be a back end first round pick, early yeah. day two pick. Yes, that's the type of talent he is. Yes, I'm like this, it is a Pro Bowl caliber lead back talent, similar to Miles Sanders. He has some shortcomings in terms of you know scanning and reading lanes, but that stuff can be cleaned up with the correct environment. And I'm like, look like this is a big deal for him. I would love him to be behind an already established tenured back. Pro bowl all pro type guy. Tennessee. Yeah. New the New York Giants if they re-sign yes. Saquon Barkley, like 49ers, like get behind guys who know how to be a pro. That's the best way to grow because it's so hard today cuz so many you know these these poor kids Get their signing bonus. This is the most money some of them have, most of them have ever seen in their whole entire lives. Yes, yeah. in one second. Yes, you check your you check your bank account, and you're seeing a lot of zeros. You've just been
0: taken. You're being, in that sense, that money has taken you and thrown you as far away 100%. from yourself as as you could possibly be thrown. And the, 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 the thing is to try and find your way back to being who you are. And, and that's because money. you have
1: so, so many people, you have so many people telling you and asking you for money. You have people saying, hey, let's go do this. Let's, let's go test drive these cars. Let, let's go out to the club and, and, and get some bottles. Like,
0: that's, come home with me, you know? That, yeah, yeah, that's
1: hard. You're yeah. 21, 22 years old, and you're trying to figure out life. And now you're trying to figure out what to do with uh, all these zeros and all these people. It's tough, man. But I mean, I think in a case like Evans, it, it's you get behind a pro. Uh, that's what I hope for this kid. Because I think this kid is super, super talented. Yes. But it's just get behind a good pro that has been in the league for a while. You can you can sit behind them for two years and then be the successor. Yes. The successor for Saquon Barkley is my. Ho- that's my holy grail of spots for him. In New York, be behind a guy like that or Be behind a McCaffrey in in San Francisco. I'll tell you another place Do I'd that. love
0: to see him go. If you're going to if you're going to give me Saquon, Barclay, where's that? Where's Cleveland, that? Cleveland behind. Oh, with Nick, Nick Chubb. Oh,
1: stop. That'd be fake. Because I think the one thing that's that's important you said that because it's for Zach Evans. He's not a great receiver. He's no. never gonna be. Yeah. He's not he's not Jameer Gibbs there. He, he you know he's he's not the he's Evan a checkdown guy. That's he, yeah, it. yeah yeah limited but. We talk about a guy who goes to work every day. Your lunch pail running back, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb doesn't say a word. Yeah, like never speaks. This guy, he goes to work, and that's what I think. And talk about um,
0: movement and all the ways that you talked about. He's the he's the king.
1: We can talk. We can talk for two more hours just on how 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 unique Nick Chubb is. Yeah, he's just guy's incredible. He's he's the best pure runner in the NFL, bar none.
0: Yep. 100%. Yep. 100%. Yeah. He I when I scouted him, I had him over Saquon in in my yeah. in my in my guide and I know that folks thought I was nuts and I thought I was nuts at first a little bit because of after the knee injury and talking to Gene Bramble the you know about um the surgery that he had and how j- he, that knee had to have been tightened just right with all the tears that he had. Yep. And to see so i I watched more games of him than any other player I have ever watched because I kept I felt like I was just rubbing my eyes going i this can't be right because everyone's talking about him like he's washed up Frank Gore um, and and I'm watching him and I'm thinking he's the best running back I've seen and I, I mean as a decision maker I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, and I'm just and it was and the footwork was just amazing, so I, yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah, no, you know, yeah, no, I, you know, you're, yeah, no, I, I love yeah. that though because I mean, that's great insight on on, on you and your evaluation with, with Chubb because I think he's a he's a unique player, and a lot of times we get we get bogged down with injury and guys fall, you know, in the NFL draft because of it, obviously, because that's yeah. part of their evaluation, medicals are huge, but god, was he good? Yeah, is he good? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it's yeah,
0: I, it's you know that and he's he's such a great argument for so many things cuz i think like yards after yards after contact you know i i love saquon saquon is a great back a great back i think he's not the decision maker Chubb is few no one really is but like but but like i would see people talk about yards after contact and i'd watch someone sw- you know fly swat him on the thigh and he goes off for 70 and i would go that's impressive That's great. It's amazing what he's doing. At the same time, are you really going to tell me his yards after contact is better than what Chubb had to deal with? Yeah, it's not all all fit and equal. You know, I mean, I'd rather rather see, I'd rather just eliminate some of the yards after contact because to me, measuring that's not, to me, it's more about what kind of tackle did you break? What kind of tackle? Who was the type of tackler that did it? And if I could have the time, what angle of trajectory of of hit is being delivered um, on top of that to really break it down because if we did that, guys who might have like average you know three point two yards after contact or versus one point two yards after contact you might look at the one point two guy a lot differently um, yeah. if you had that context, and I think that's no. way more important and like Chubb to me signified that it's like you watch those you the best runners you watch gains where they like they should have lost three
1: and they gained one, and those are yeah. that's the meat. That, that, that's the that's the impressive because it, it's you're right. Not all of it's credit equal. I mean, you have high contact, low direct, indirect. You you have different pathways, different size defenders, and so it's interesting because some people are like, oh well, this guy had a great yards after contact. Well, think of how skewed that can be sometimes. Yes. Well, let's say he broke the tackle of a uh, safety coming down. And ran for 70 twice in one season. Yeah. Okay. Different than a Nick Chubb who let's say sheds defensive end, breaks the linebackers tackle, and gets four. Yeah. Exactly. More impressive, right? But like Saquon too, decision making. Saquon's not a good decision maker. Not at all. Has never been. And that's the thing that like Thank you. He he has he when he was a rookie, he knew he was the most athletic dude in the freaking field. Yeah. Like he knew he was the baddest dude in the block. And that's the thing that separated him from all the backs in the league at that when he was that not anymore. He's yes. had to rein that back cuz he's not athletic as he used to be. No. And- he's not the accelerator he used to be. He can't he can't chain movements as well as he did, but one thing he's gotten better at is he processes the game a lot cleaner and we're seeing that now as he gets older, that maturation yeah. is kind of going to it's going to help him stay in the league long.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It's very important. I mean, I remember Demarco Murray interviewing him at the Senior Bowl and saying, "I noticed, like, when I first watched you, like, when you were when you were a freshman, you were like, you, you really leaned hard on your athletic ability. Like, you were a speedster. You were certainly. I watched you as a returner. I watched a lot of things that you did. And then, as after some injuries and watching you as you got older, you were a different back. And I really came to appreciate how you were as a decision maker. Can you talk about that transformation that you had in college? And he said, man, I came in after Adrian Peterson, you know, and, and all of that. And he said, you know, I was the best athlete in my region. You know, I, I got to Oklahoma and realized everyone's the best athlete in their region. And I realized that I have, I have to, I have to understand the game because I, Because if I don't, everyone, I'm not outrunning people anymore. I'm not going to outrun people the way I did. And yeah, like you said, Barkley, it's like the same thing with throwers or runners, you know, or receivers even. Any player who has to out-jump, outrun, or out-arm talent people, if they still can do it as a senior in college, then be prepared for them to have to learn in the NFL when and when they cannot do that. Because they're yeah, out of huge. the ten who can do that in college as a junior and senior, there may be two who can still do it in the NFL with any level of frequency. A hundred percent. And there's maybe one out of a hundred every ten years or twenty years who can still do it like they're in high school, like Bo yeah. Jackson. You know, I mean Yeah.
1: Just just your jet your transcendent yeah. type. Tad talent it doesn't happen often and yeah you're, you're absolutely right one thing i like to watch too is like the ascension of these guys from like freshmen to seniors and looking at the difference in their tape yeah um and that's why like we talk about jameer gibbs at 12 and the difference between him at georgia Tech when he was a freshman he was number 21 to when he was number one in alabama and the difference was there was this uncontrolled aggression when he was a freshman at Georgia Tech, he ran every single run was like this is his last run. Yeah. And he played with his hair on fire, and he broke a lot of tackles, which is actually really funny. A lot of yards after contact, but you saw, like, I started to wear on him a bit, and I think he realized Tashard Choice is running back coach there. And I, Tashard, I, I saw, like, an interview with him, Tashard, and he was like, well, we talked about Jameer being – you know this really good player, but I never really knew who he was because he was so quiet. He didn't speak, and so that's the thing that's interesting about players like Jameer Gibbs was such a honed-in, like intelligent, cerebral player, but changed his changed the way he played the game throughout his collegiate career to being a like a top fifteen pick. And the reason is he couldn't he would not have been a top fifteen pick if he played the way he continued to play as a freshman, just not sustainable. Yeah, right like he was he was trying to run over dudes. Yeah. Right? He he played like around 205, not you're not running over dudes at 205. No. Um but that's always interesting to me when when athletes learn how to slow the game down. And you see that. I saw that with Gibbs in particular. Um when they played um god, I think it was Arkansas. I think that was the game when um Bryce Young got hurt. Jalen Mill Jalen Milrow took over and you know Jameer Gibbs had two straight carries that were 60 plus yards in both touchdowns and just took over the game and won the game. Right. Um, wouldn't be able to do that as a freshman. Right. Wouldn't be able to process that and hit the hole in the second level and, and be able to dip the shoulder to get past the safety. That stuff he couldn't do. Yeah. So that's why that 12 pick kind of, it makes sense. Cause those guys are rare. Like you don't have those guys in every single class, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs are probably for me, two of the most, Intriguing backs to come out in recent memory because both those guys are—you don't get those guys every single class. No. Just the, no. the the stylistic element of both of them is so different. Bajon is just incredible. I mean, he's awesome. But um, yeah. but yeah, it's interesting to and watch a, guy a lot of subtlety to his sophomore. game. Oh yeah, to so Bajon. Hundred percent. A lot of subtlety to what he. A lot does. of maturity. I, I see that you know, people compare him to Barkley, but he is a better processor of information than Barkley is current.
0: Oh yes. And he got better because early in his career, like he did in his early in his career, I watched him and I said, "Okay, watching these first two years of tape, I'm watching. I'm going. I see some Reggie Bush. I see some Saquon Barkley in terms of like if you combine the two athletically and certain things. And then, and then I watch Zach Evans and I'm going, here's how Zach Evans r- hugs blocks the way Bijan doesn't and that's something that Bijan's going to have to improve. That was how I felt heading into this year. Yeah. And then watching this year's tape, I was like, oh, Bichon's gotten better. He, he, oh, is, yeah. he is definitely processing the game better and understanding what he needs to do. And, and then my comps for him was like, okay, if you kept the Reggie Bush element of the explosion, the quick twitch, sure. the catching ability, and you combined it with Frank Gore, with what Frank Gore was at yeah. his peak, with the subtlety, the quick air, short area movements to be Dude, efficient. Frank's feet were yeah, textbook,
1: yeah. textbook. Yeah. You hey, know, didn't make that's why he hung around so long. Yes, didn't make mistakes. I like love this it. man. Like, and that's the thing I think people don't realize too is like running back is very much as a ball carrier. It's a mistake-free position. Yeah, like don't mess it up.
0: Manage the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, you're trying to manage the flow of the game. You're trying to manage the pace of your offensive time. Yes, and that's kind of hard to do, right? You're not playing every. You're not playing a million miles an hour if you play. Yeah. Like you have a role and a job to do on a specific down and distance, and then that's what it is. Yeah. And guys who can do that stick around for a long time, and guys find significant roles. Jamal Williams. Yes. Because way at doing that. Yes. Thank Great. you. Great. And that's why he's people you know, make why fun of me coach. all the
0: time because I love Jamal Williams as a player. He's a good
1: back. He's a
0: very he's a, good back.
1: He's a good back, man. He's a funny dude too. Yeah. I love listening to him. Love listening to his interviews. But man, like guys like that, like Dave Montgomery, how he's yeah. kind of changed his game into, into being yeah. a similar type player to actually Jamal Williams. Now he, those guys have roles. Like yeah. those guys are now tagged in the NFL as this is. These are my low red zone. Low red zone short yardage chain movers that won't make mistakes and keep my quarterback clean.
0: That's right. That's important. Keep the playbook expanded when in a down and distance situation where you're trying to go for the 50 yard run and losing five yards is going to kill your offense as opposed to getting three tough yards because you, instead of losing three yards and people, that's what you need to watch for when you watch running backs. Like the, the, the big plays, that's great. And you can, that's an area you can say, this is how we use a player. And if you can do that, that's great. But if you're looking for an all-around back, and there aren't many of them, you've got to include that part in your arsenal. Can they, manage, can they look at where they are on the field, the down and distance, what the defense is doing, and say, I can't take this chance. I've got to, right. I've yeah. got to make this happen. Or if i got to manage the yeah. flow of the game, but,
1: super important.
0: But I'll say this: if you've never, if any of you listening here have never seen or read Bernard Malamud's book *The Natural*, or saw the movie with Robert Redford from Barry Levinson's days, the the movie *The Natural* is basically, or the story of *The Natural* is about a a baseball player who back in like the 20s and 30s i think or the 40s and some i don't remember the era but like back around that era of 20 years where he he's a pitcher and he looks like he's going to be like the greatest pitcher that ever lived and then mysteriously never like makes the league and then returns as this old man like in his like mid to late 30s to play and he's a hitter and he's like the becomes the best power hitter in baseball at this time and awesome. then but you see what could have been with him as a pitcher if what had happened as the story develops. Whenever I see the natural, I think of Frank Gore because Frank Gore with two ACL tears before he ever entered the league and to hear Larry Coker say listen, I recruited running backs. I was a running back coach at Oklahoma State with Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders. Frank Gore was the best high school running back I ever saw. Period, hands down, and Frank Gore. I remember seeing some Frank Gore early Frank Gore tape at Miami before he got those two ACL tears. If that dude came into the league with two healthy ACLs, he'd still be playing right now. Yeah. I mean, like he was in. I mean, he was yeah. incredible with two he with has. two torn ACLs, and he might have been like that kind yeah. of player
1: yeah that's crazy yeah it's always interesting to see that because it's you know like when you do that when you have those significant injuries you have to change like yeah. you have to you have to you have to completely change the way you play the game yeah um and change the areas that you weren't as good at right yeah. and that's a huge deal because you know frank gore's was the best timing based running back in this generation in my opinion yeah right yeah. just precision 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 you knew what you're getting at every play, but yeah that's a big deal
0: so listen this was This was even better than expected. So why we went an hour and 20 today as opposed to going 30 or 40. Um, But I, yeah, I want to do this more often. This was, this was such a great conversation. Um, And I can't wait to put this out this afternoon for people to listen to it because I think that there was so much great information. So thank you, Brandon, for, you know, for bringing it today.
1: Yeah, no, anytime, man. Uh, anytime you need me on, uh, I'll hop on. I love talking to you and chopping it up, man. Appreciate A- anything it.
0: Anything we need to tout, tout, tout it for me.
1: Oh, man. Um, just putting on the profiles on angelanalysis.com, um, getting those done. The draft guides are complete. Um, those are being updated with bus rate. This, after the tomorrow and the NFL draft finishes, um, basically bus rate's going to be, based on draft capital, it's going to be in addition to... Essentially when we see pick 104, 105, 106 in our in our super flex drafts or one QB drafts, what the bus rate is on that player in that specific spot. Um gonna be doing that this year, excited for that to go and then just continuing on, just just hopping up and and, and putting out some profiles on these guys and having fun with it.
0: Well go check it out, folks. Definitely worthwhile. And uh thank you for listening. Hopefully your teams get the players you want, and if they don't, they end up with the players that you actually needed. All right, take care.